Welcome to the Masters in Exercise podcast. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Ana Abrantes, who is a professor of psychiatry and human behavior at Brown University. Her research is focused on the development and testing of novel interventions for decreasing relapse risk among individuals with alcohol and other drug abuse problems. She also conducts research in the area of physical activity promotion for individuals with substance abuse and mental health disorders. We speak with her about how exercise can help in the management of different types of addictions. We start by trying to understand addictions and how we diagnose them clinically. We discuss the evidence that supports the use of exercise as an intervention to manage different types of addictions. We talk about what types of addictions could be more susceptible to the benefits from exercise, the potential mechanisms underlying the positive effect, and whether some types of exercise could be more effective than others. Without further ado, this is my conversation with Dr. Anna Abrantes. Hello, Dr. Abrantes. Thanks for participating in the podcast. I really appreciate it. Because I don't know much about addictions and addictive behavior, I'd like to first ask you how we define addiction or addictive behavior so we can all understand what addictions are. Mm-hmm. Well, first, thank you for having me. Um, uh, I'm excited to talk to you today uh, about this topic. Um, but yeah, addiction. So, you know, there's, um, it can be formally diagnosed with, um, you know, the DSM criteria, but just more generally, it, it has to do with um, engaging uh, in a behavior that can feel um, almost like compulsive um, and uh, something that's difficult to control. Um, it can be associated with um, a problematic uh negative consequences, but yet the desire to do it um, exceeds the the negative consequences. Um, And, you know, the more that you do it, the more that you need to do it to get the same effect. Um, And, you know, which can be tolerance, and then there's could be craving associated, which is that desire to want to engage in in the behavior. Um, So um, that's sort of a uh, a general description uh, of an addiction, which could apply to all sorts of things, you know, alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, um, certainly other, there are behavioral addictions like gambling and sex and food. And okay. So. Yeah. I want to ask you about this later about if exercise can be used as a, a junk therapy or, you know, some sort of intervention to be applied in, in, in other types of addictions, not only drugs, but also behavior or, 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 or things like that. But I want to ask you first, where this interest of using exercise as a potential intervention to, I don't know, I guess with exercise, you cannot solve the addiction, but I guess you can use it as an adjunct therapy. Uh, where all these came from? Uh, what was the, why did you start doing this type of research? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was it was really um, not something I sought out um, myself. Um, so I guess it kind of happened by accident. Um, so about 20 years ago, I was finishing my um, psychology internship program here at Brown, and um, I wanted to stay on for a postdoc, and and I did, and I was, as part of my postdoc, I was working with um, a a mentor here, his name is Richard Brown, and um, 
And he, he, the reason I was working with him was because he's the smoking cessation researcher and, um, and uh, he had some data and, and some projects ongoing on smoking cessation in adolescents with psychiatric comorbidity. And that actually happened to be my area, my background. It was adolescent substance use with psychiatric comorbidity. So he was a very good fit in terms of mentorship. Um, but he had this additional interest in, um, um, in looking at exercise as a potential adjunct to addiction treatment. And uh, during my time there, he, during my, my postdoc time, he got um, the first two grants funded from the National Institutes of Health here in the United States to, um, to develop an exercise program for individuals in addiction treatment. And, and he was really looking for a project coordinator for those projects. And I wanted to, you know, basically I, I needed a job after my postdoc. I wasn't, I had just had a baby. I wasn't in a position to, to really look for other, uh, other jobs. And so I decided to, um, to, to fill that role. And it wasn't really something that I was super excited about because I thought really exercise is going to help someone stop drinking. I just, I just couldn't, you know, and, you know, and, you know, I just, but um, I started working on that project and I started doing the interventions, working with, with these, with these patients. Um, and I, I just, I just, it, it, I was just so, it was so rewarding and so, and so reinforcing for me because I would see how exercise was helpful for them. And from there, I just kept, kept on with it. And I, and it grew into applying to exercise to other mental health conditions, which I have a sort of a subset of my research involves just exercise and mental health, not irrespective of addiction. And, um, and it's pretty much everything I've done is physical activity research for, for addiction and mental health over the last 20 years because of that. Um, so, yeah. Thanks for being so honest. Sometimes when we, when we are asked about what why we do what we do sometimes we we try to come up with the most original you know explanations but sometimes it's you know you you start doing things that you don't yeah. think you will like and then you end up doing them because they're fascinating so let me right. let me right. ask you about the rationale or the mechanisms a bit because exercise can help people in many ways and we tend to focus on at least in my lab for example we look at you know physiological mechanisms like uh, I don't know, uh, we look at the uh, changes in respiratory function or changes in, in, in heart uh, function, these kind of things. Uh, but exercise can also improve your psychological state, your mood, or even your uh, psychosocial health. So before I ask you about the specific studies that you publish, I'd like to understand why, why exercise, why exercise should help people with addictions. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there's several different ways in which exercise can help someone who um, who is in the process of recovering from an addiction. And um, I, I would say that probably the the primary way or the one that, that, that probably makes most sense is through um, uh, improved mood. So decreased depression, decreased anxiety, um, because depression and anxiety are so highly comorbid with alcohol and drug use problems. And, um, and oftentimes those are the, those are triggers for 
using and triggers for relapse. So it stands to reason that if you can help decrease anxiety and depression, that, that in turn, um, you'd, you'd have more successful outcomes for alcohol and, and drug use. Um, and also, you know, there's a whole a whole literature on the benefits of exercise for decreasing depression in particular, and a, a, a growing one for anxiety as well. So, you know, so, so that would be one of the mechanisms by which um, uh, exercise could be helpful in, in these individuals. But there are others. So for example, cognitive benefits is another big one. Um, we know that, it, you know, um, impaired executive functioning is a is a risk factor for the development of alcohol and drug use problems um, but also substance use in and of itself can then worsen cognitive problems in and and uh, executive functioning deficits um, and then when you go through the process of withdrawal there's cognitive um, impairments as well and so if you can um, improve cognitive functioning, particularly in the early stages of recovery, that might allow you to be more fully engaged with treatment. It might be helpful for you to um, be more effective at um, managing uh, your decision-making, your behaviors and all of that in order to stay abstinent from alcohol or drug use. And there is a, a good literature on the, ben the cognitive benefits of exercise. Um, Another, I think, mechanism that hasn't really been explored as well yet, but I think could make a difference, and, and maybe at some point I'll try to look at this, but <clears throat> is improved sleep. So sleep dysfunction or, or sleep difficulties are, 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 are common in early recovery. Um, and, um, and exercises, <clears throat> excuse me, exercise is one of the sort of best non-pharmacological approaches to improve your sleep. And so if you can have better sleep, your mood is better. If your mood is better, you may not you know, pick up alcohol or drugs. So, I mean, those are just a, a, a few of them, but then there's other psychological things like just increased confidence. You know, if you have, if you're, if you're engaging in a behavior that you know is a healthy behavior, especially after having engaged in a behavior that's probably brought down some of your confidence or decreased your confidence or your self-esteem or your self-worth. And now if you can do something really positive for yourself, that that then translates into, into uh, a, a more successful uh, recovery. Um, so those are the ones, the, the, the sort of ones that come to mind. Okay. May I ask you another question, which is what about brain plasticity? And I know cognition is part of this. Mm -hmm. And obviously our behavior is dictated by our brain and how our brain functions, of course. But for example, uh, in my lab, we do quite a lot of experiments on Parkinson's and, and the dopaminergic brain and how exercise interacts with, uh, with dopamine and levodopa, some of the medications that they take. And we know that dopamine is, is somehow uh, involved in the reward system and the reward system is involved, correct me if I'm wrong, but involved in addictions. Yeah. Do you think um, exercise can have a direct effect on the dopaminergic function of the brain and that could perhaps help uh, these patients with addictions? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that it can. I probably, I don't know as much about 
that aspect of it. Although, you know, the part that I've thought about in terms of neuroplasticity with, uh, with exercise is, I mean, we start, so we know that exercise can increase, it's one of the sort of few, few ways that you can, uh, you know, that you can have the, uh, of neurogenesis and neuroplasticity, right? So, so um, the way that I've, I've been thinking more about it of late is in terms of, um, is in, in, in terms of increasing the, um, you know, the sort of cognitive control over sort of like the top down uh, 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 control over the, um, the sort of emotional um, automatic processes that occur. So the craving, the, 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 uh, those kinds of automatic processes, you know, they, they occur, especially in early recovery and, you know, to be able to then be able to exert that cognitive control so that you're able to successfully manage, you know, recovery is really, really important. And so, you know, these two systems are competing against each other. If we could get the cognitive uh, uh, control piece to, to, uh, the, the, you know, to more, to, to sort of win out in this, in this competition. And to do that, you need to, you know, you need to in, improve the functioning of things like emotional working memory or, uh, other kinds of executive functioning, um, uh, uh fun, you know, functioning abilities. And, um, and I think you can, exercise can improve that that aspect of it particularly working memory i think that there's some studies to show that exercise can really um improve that way now how that all translates to the dopaminergic reward pathways i mean that's a good question i'm not sure i i, I know how to answer that or but i'm sure there's a connection okay okay um so I want to ask you about one paper that you published on aerobic exercise as an adjunct therapy for alcohol dependence. And what you show is that the use of this type of exercise performed at moderate intensity can facilitate recovery. And, and you talk about cravings and how exercise can be used to reduce alcohol cravings. Can you explain the results of the study and how exercise can, can help in reducing cravings in, this, in these patients or in, this, uh, in these individuals? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so craving, you know, we don't quite exactly know yet how the, the mechanisms uh, of how exercise can decrease craving. I, mean, I would think that there's probably uh, a couple of ways. One is through the um, the influence of exercise on mood and affect. So we know that negative mood, negative affect is associated with higher levels of craving, right? So if you can if you can exercise and your and your mood and affect is improved, then craving can decrease in that way. Um, I mean, the other way could be something like just you know distraction. Although there's probably less evidence for that, but you're in, you know you're engaging in a behavior that takes your focus and attention away from um, from that. Um, there is some some studies on or one study that I know that I can think of on attentional bias that you know that 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 the exercise can can help shift your attention away from alcohol cues and um, and which can then decrease uh, craving uh, in that way. Okay. So this links to the next question pretty well, I think. 
like in my lab, for in my lab, for example, we use acute exercise, so a single bout of exercise, and we study mechanisms. But we also use obviously long-term interventions. And in one of your papers, you you talk about you use the word or, or the words in the moment. Exercise can be used in the moment to reduce the urge to drink, in order to cope with a negative emotional state. So. Can you give me a practice because you talk about substitution or or distraction and and is that the way you see this implemented like i feel that i have a craving i go and i and i go for a run to to try to minimize this mm -hmm. craving or do you think about this intervention like an acute intervention in the moment or are you thinking more about the chronic effects of exercise or both yeah so <clears throat> yeah that's a, that's a good question um you know, I, I think that um, if you sort of look at our existing studies with um, sort of exor chronic exercise intervention studies with individuals with um, alcohol and drug use problems, I mean, I mean, the results aren't like super impressive. Like, I mean, it, it's we it's still not clear that it's all that helpful to improve um, outcomes or to reduce relapse. <clears throat> However, one of the things, and that's true for cigarettes and other, other substances. Now, one of the things that I think is, is super clear is that there's an acute effect of bouts of physical activity on decreased craving and improved mood, and that those acute effects are robust. So, and so the, 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 my, so I've been building on that the acute effects in particular to say, okay, and, and what's, what's, I think so, was so impressive to me about the acute effects literature is that you don't have to go out for a 30 minute run. I mean, there's, there's studies to show that five, 10 minutes of, of activity can improve your mood or decrease cravings. I mean, if that's the case, then I sort of reasoned, uh, why don't we help teach people to use physical activity brief, brief bouts of physical activity strategically, like that's why I call it in the moment when they need it. Now, whether people can do it or not, or do they do it is a whole different thing that I'm trying to understand. And, and we'll, I'm collecting data, we'll analyze to see if people are doing it. But that is in the interventions I'm developing. That's what I'm trying to teach people to, to, to think about it that way, that if you're feeling stressed, and you think you might pick up a drink, um, you know, go up and down the stairs in your house a few times, you know, go walk outside to your backyard, walk around a little bit, step in place for a little bit, go around the block for five minutes or 10 minutes, um, you know, play with your grandchild. I don't know, whatever, whatever that might be, but, but not to. Um, and so the reason for that is because if you look at so many of these chronic intervention studies, it, it, it they're really just structured gym-based studies, right? So people had to go to three times a week or four times a week, whatever it was, they'd go to the gym or they'd go to whatever the research facility was and they would exercise. And, um, and sure, that approach works. If you do it regularly, it works. People's depression gets better and, and, all, and all of that. But, um, but, you know, cravings come and go throughout the day, you know, your, your affect changes throughout the day. And, um, and so, whereas I think I sort of 
think of it in terms of like tonic and phasic kind of thing. So your your background level of depressive symptoms, your the, the chronic activity will hopefully decrease that over time, but the you know the acute activity can give you a benefit right away and it can be and and if and what I'd like to do is I like to teach people to notice that, to, to self-monitor that and see how they feel before and after so that they can understand that they're getting this immediate reward um, so that it's something they can do more frequently as opposed to needing to wait weeks before they notice a change in their overall level of depressive symptoms, for example, or cravings or whatnot. Okay. So this is promising, I think, because now we are in this era of uh, exercise and snacks or high-intensity interval training, which is really short bouts of high-intensity exercise that you can do for even 15 seconds, three times per week. And apparently you can see benefits in cardiorespiratory fitness or, or any, any outcome. So I think it would be nice to see if you can use this in people with addictions to reduce cravings. Um, so let me ask you about a pilot study that you publish. You explore the feasibility of 12 weeks of cardiovascular exercise as an adjunct treatment for sub substance abuse dependence. And you found that participants demonstrated a significant increase in percent days abstinence for both alcohol and drugs at the end of the exercise treatment. But what, what interested me about this study the most was um, that you found that those who attended at least 75% of the exercise sessions had significantly better substance use outcomes than those who did not. And now here I come with the questions about, you know, how much exercise you need to do, what type of exercise is best, things that we don't know, to be honest, in other fields too. So how much exercise, do we know how much exercise we need to do to see benefits for addictions? Um, <clears throat> no, not for addictions. I don't, I just don't think that that data exists currently. Uh, I mean, I think the, the field of, of exercise and addiction has borrowed, uh, interventions that were very similar to other, uh, other populations and, <clears throat> and, um, you know, in, in depression, for example, you need a few weeks, maybe a month to start seeing a difference in depression. Um, so you, 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 you know, you could assume you'd need something if the mechanism is through depression, let's say, then you would need to see that in order to, <clears throat> to see improvements in, um, in addiction outcomes. Um, but it, it's so, it's so tricky because, um, you know, it's um, with <clears throat> with something like depression, you 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 can imagine you start with a depression score, and then over time you might see a decrease, and that's good, right? But with 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 addiction studies, it's like the opposite, right? So on day one, that's your best outcome. You're not drinking, you're not using drugs, and then it just gets worse <laughs> over time. So it's hard to, it's hard to measure <clears throat> outcomes um, oftentimes. And because if you, and then there's also the fact that that the highest risk for relapse is in those first few weeks, for sure, first month or two. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I've seen it so so many times in in my studies that I think sometimes they relapse before they before the physical activity is even taken hold and and made a difference in their lives. And then once they relapse, you know, then it's who knows 
when they're going to be able to get back on track or seek help again. And of course, physical activity goes out the window. Um, so for sure, you know, the, the, so I almost, I almost feel like we, if, you know, we have to figure out what we can have them do right away that they can grab onto and feel good about and, and, and can continue doing, doing long-term. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the paper you were just mentioning, I think the key point there is that it's all about like doing it right. If you do it, you're, you're no doubt you will get a benefit. And, um, but adherence in this population is a struggle and for the reasons I mentioned about the relapse. And, um, and so, you know, that's kind of what we're, we're, we're up against. And, and that's where a lot of my research has shifted to of late is less about being so focused on the outcomes, but more on like, how can we just get people to do it? Um, and that's where the in the moment activity comes in because that's, I, I'm, those studies I'm really framing as lifestyle physical activity interventions rather than structured aerobic exercise interventions. And my move towards lifestyle physical activity interventions is really about how to get people to do it. And so if it's not going to the gym a few times a week, but it's just part of your daily life and integrated into your daily life, then, you know, does that increase the chances that you're going to actually engage it and do it. And, yeah. Okay, very interesting. So this is the last question I'm going to ask you about exercise parameters, okay? But I have to, because in most of your studies, I think in all of them, you use cardiovascular exercise. And I was wondering why you picked this one. It was more convenience. It's easier normally in terms of equipment or in terms of adherence, for example, to ask people to do this type of exercise. Or, or you think that, resistance training or all the types of interventions that involve physical activity will also, you know, get you to the same results. Mm -hmm. So I guess it depends like what, what the, like how you would define what kind of results you, you would want. But <clears throat> I mean, I do think it, it's more just where I started and I just have kept up with it. Like right now, even, even if I think resistance training is going to help, which I think it would help, although I do think there are certain preferences for gender differences in terms of preferences where I think men are probably more interested in doing resistance training than women, for example. But um uh, but it's just not something that I would probably do right now because I don't have the expertise in resistance training and whatnot. Although I could collaborate with others, but I, but there's, um, I do think there's absolutely there's value in looking at these other modalities of physical activity and resistance train resistance training again, particularly in men, is a good option. I mean, I do think something like yoga is is potentially a, a good option um, as well. And ultimately, it's it's you know, I, I feel like it's about moving your body and, um, and whatever we can do to get people to move their bodies is good. Okay. Um, it just, I think I, for, for me, I focused a lot on uh, aerobic because, you know, 20 years ago, that's where a lot of more of the evidence was around aerobic activity and mental health, uh, arena. And I just sort of stuck with it just, but, but that isn't to say that I don't think other modalities are just as important. Okay. So, I'm going to ask you a question about a meta-analysis that was published uh, in 2019. They analyzed the evidence behind the use of exercise as an intervention for smoking cessation. They included 24 trials and 7,000 7, individuals, and the results were inconclusive. So they didn't find that 
um, exercise is an effective therapy to smoking cessation. Um, but you published in 2020 a paper uh, in which you show that uh, a short bout of exercise or, or moderate intensity can reduce smoking withdrawal, symptomatology, craving, and negative effect in a smoker. So, yeah, can you can yeah. you? Sure. So the meta-analysis the, 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 that you're talking about, which is probably the Usher-Cochran yeah. review. Yeah. So, you know, in, in that review, it, it, it actually does a really nice job breaking it down into the, the sort of chronic intervention exercise um, programs versus the acute effects. And certainly the, it's, it's the, that inconclusive effect is on, um, on, exercise intervention, chronic exercise interventions on smoking cessation outcomes, but the acute effects uh, section is uh, um, of, of physical activity on smoking related um, constructs like craving withdrawal symptoms, I think are, are still significant. Yeah. And, um, and, and that study that I published was just on the acute effects uh, piece of it. So individual, although um, the, um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a 12 week program, but I was looking at individual or sort of the accumulation of individual bouts of activity pre post individual bouts of activity. So, um, you know, so I think that, that, the that it's more about the acute effects and, and those are there though that which which is sort of to me I think kind of mind-boggling in a way it's sort of like okay so if each individual bout of physical activity can be so beneficial why aren't we then seeing you know uh the the sort of overall benefit of these chronic exercise interventions on outcomes and um which I'm not sure I have to think through more of that um, yeah, it's interesting. I think it's related probably to what you mentioned earlier about your first day is the, is the best day. And sometimes we see the same in memory research. Sometimes, in fact, I, I published a meta-analysis looking at the effects of acute exercise and chronic exercise interventions and memory. And if you look at this, the effect sizes, of course, normally acute studies are you know small sample sizes, so you have to be careful in, in the way you interpret the data. But the effect is larger than when you look at because it makes sense because at time there is a time dependent effect of exercise an acute effect mm -hmm. so maybe mm -hmm. is is that but it's very interesting that uh, the acute effect in, in the analysis in your study seems to be more robust than when you look in the long run very interesting yeah um so in 2012 you published a protocol paper uh, describing the design and rationale for a randomized controlled trial testing the efficacy of aerobic exercise for patients with uh, OCD, and I was, I was, I was very excited. I wanted to to find if you if you published this. Did you do the trial, or 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 you did you get the results? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, the um, the outcome papers in um, General Hospital Psychiatry. I forget the journal, but it's published. Okay. It was published a couple of years ago. Yeah, and so. Um, what we found, uh, the results of that trial, we um, ended up enrolling 51 patients, and they received either the 12-week structured aerobic exercise program or a health education control. And, um, and we found that at the end of treatment, 
three months later that um, you know, there was no difference in OCD symptomatology between conditions. However, um, I sort of view this as a failed randomization study because the, the OCD symptoms was significantly higher in the um, uh, exercise condition than in the control. So they, if you look at within within group changes, there was a significant, you know, much a much higher significant change in the um, in the exercise condition. However, we did find that the, the number, the proportion of uh, individuals who remitted from OCD was higher, significantly higher in, um, um, in the exercise condition versus the health education control. Okay. So may I ask you out of curiosity, how do you design the control interventions in these studies? Because it's, it's really difficult. I was reviewing a paper on uh, the effects of exercise on sleep quality in, in Parkinson's and they use subjective uh, outcomes, so questionnaires, and then they use polysomnography, which is the gold standard to measure sleep architecture and sleep quality. And the control intervention was sleep hygiene group. And what they found was that if you look at the polysomnography, the exercise was better, they improved much more. But then when you ask subjectively participants, the control group was better than the exercise group, but they're probably biased because you, you train them, you know, the intervention is training them how to sleep better. So how do you control for these things uh, in this type of studies uh, in people with, uh, if, what was the, uh, with the control intervention exactly? So um, in my, um, it's a similar uh, control that I used in both my smoking study and the OCD study, which was uh, 12 sessions of just various um, uh, health topics. So there was a session, uh, like in the smoking study, it was a it was session, the, the sessions were health issues with smoking. So for example, there was nutrition, sleep, there was uh, cancer, um, COPD, there was stroke, those, you know, topics like that, um, immune functioning, oral health, that kind of stuff. And then um, similarly in the, in the OCD, so there's the ones that were relevant. Um, uh, and then things like how to be a smart patient and get your answers uh, get your questions answered at your doctor's office, th those kinds of things. Um, so that's very, very, very typical kinds of health education programs. Um, I, you know, I will say that, uh, I, and I'm not going to say too much about this because I have to publish this paper, but, you know, I did do a larger randomized trial of exercise versus health education in smokers with elevated depressive symptoms and that I'm working on um, uh, writing up the, those, those results. And um, both in that study and my other studies in the OCD study, like everyone, not everyone, but the, there's always a certain amount of, uh, of, of improved or increases in physical activity in the health education condition. And so these, these health education conditions are not inert. And uh, I will say just talking to other colleagues who've, who've employed similar health education interventions in physical activity trials, that they too have observed increases in physical activity with a health education condition. And so, you know, we're recruiting in all these studies. I mean, ultimately, we're recruiting individuals who want to increase their physical activity. Otherwise, they wouldn't participate in this research. So there's a fair amount of just like just being part of a study, you know, 
talking to nice people who ask you questions about yourself and um, that just kind of leads to, you know, improved health behaviors. Okay. okay. Uh, so do you think the effects can be generalized to other types of addictions? So sex, video games, gambling, uh, how do you see this? Do you think, do you, do you think there are some specific addictions that will be less responsive to the effects of exercise or you, you see a general effect potentially? Um, yeah, I haven't thought too much about this, but if I had to say, I would say yes, that it does generalize because if the, if sort of getting back to that whole mechanism of exerting top-down control over automatic processes, you know, that would apply to any addiction, right? So, um, so I would probably, I would, I would hypothesize that it would. Um, also, all these other addictions are also associated with negative affect and uh, you know, difficulty regulating emotions and physical activity can be helpful in that regard. So yes, that, that's what I would hypothesize. Okay. Two more questions. Um, so where do you see this research going? I mean, what are the burning questions that you wanna answer in relation to the use of exercise in, in addictions? What are the things that you don't know that you think we should know this, otherwise we won't be able to use it clinically? So, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, we always want to know how much for how long and at what intensity and all of that. And I think that's those questions are still important and need to be addressed. Um, and so, so that's, that's, you know, one um, area. The other, the other sort of area that I think um, is important is the timing of the exercise intervention. So um, both at the chronic level and at the acute level. So for example, is it better to, to be abstinent in your recovery for a month or whatever that time frame is, and then implement an exercise program to help decrease relapse? You know, is it too much to do two behaviors at the same time? You know, we talk a lot about multiple behavior change and how they can be synergistic and associated with good, um, you know, good outcomes. But like, I do wonder if it's just too much for people to, to start a physical activity program at the same time as they're trying to um, quit drinking or using other drugs. I mean, if you just take individuals without an addiction and you try to get them to start an exercise program, I mean, we know that they that so many drop out and don't adhere. So just for the for just the the average person, starting an exercise program is so challenging. And so, put on top of that, you know, having to also you know, manage a, a significant addictive condition. And even though we're trying to teach people to use physical activity in the service of, of, uh, of their recovery, it's still, I think, I worry that it's just too much and that it should be, it should be sequential rather than concurrent kind of um, intervention. Um, yeah, um, so that's that's something to to think about. I I'm also I'm also kind of interested in um, I, I just personally I'm very interested in gender differences and the role of um, you know 
potential role of hormones for women and the experience of physical activity and physical activity enjoyment and affect regulation kinds of issues that all sort of plays into to, with addiction, because we know that, you know, women in particular, that they're more likely to relapse in the context of, you know, stress and, and negative emotions and negative affect where men relapse more in social situations. And, and so, you know, I think exercise could be highly beneficial for women, particularly, but, um, but, but they're also up against greater challenges to adopt physical activity, I think. Um, so how to make, you know, how to make physical activity more accessible is then the, the third thing. And, um, you know, one thing I've been trying to do in methadone clinics is to incorporate a peer facilitated physical activity intervention and having the use of peers help, um, um, help support this, the adoption of physical activity in the context of methadone. Um, so bringing physical activity to to the population as much as we can um, is sort of another uh, another another kind of approach. Um, you know, and then of course, you know, technology is another way to sort of go about it as well. With, um, uh, but yeah, anyway, so those are just some things that that come to mind. Okay, I will ask you ten thousand questions, but uh, we don't have more time. I was thinking about bigorexia, and but I guess it's like medications, no? I mean, medications are good if you take them for the purpose they've been designed for, but people get addicted to exercise and using exercise to help people with addiction. So I just was thinking about this, and if you thought of this, and if it changes any of the ideas that you, that you have. But anyway, let's leave it here because uh, you've been very nice uh, sharing your time with me. Um, is there any way people can follow you? Do you have any Twitter account or any social media or 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 I'm gonna put I'm gonna put your lab address uh, on on the notes uh, on the podcast. But do you have a Twitter account of some place where people can follow your research? I do have a Twitter account. Yeah, I'm not super active on it, but I do have it. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, my first name A N A underscore M. My last name I mean underscore my last name. Anna underscore M underscore Brian. Okay. This has been terrific. Thank you so much. Um, I had fun and I learned as always. Yeah, this was good. It's, it's nice to have the chance to talk about, you know, what we do. So, all right. Well, thanks so much, Mark. Take care. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.